Ron and Anian. The GM strike. Uh, yeah, where where are we with this? Well, you know, there were some people that thought that they'd be able to sidestep it, but I have been expecting a strike and possibly a long one. Car doctor. Imagine if that vehicle was on the road, hit a bump, and the, and the ball joint let go, and the tire folded under the frame, and you were doing 60 on 95 in Florida. Where would you be today? Exactly. Uh, so, That's exactly right. That's what the mechanic... Yep. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ronnie Amy, the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. We're taking no prisoners, but we're taking all questions today as we try and solve your automotive problem. Your problem is the car doctor's problem. Remember that. CarDoctorShow.com is the website, and we're here at, We're here just 24-7 because you can call that 855-560-9900 phone number. Leave a message if we're not on the air in your neck of the woods. We're live on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. East Coast time, and um, you can leave a message, and executive producer Tom Ray will call you back and put you in the next live broadcast. I want to talk about flashing, computer flashing, um, in, the, in that sense of the word, before Tom gets too excited. And um, Tom's, Tom's weekend pastime, you know, just doesn't, he just thinks it's something else. But uh, in all seriousness, computer flashing is just becoming more and more predominant. It is, it is just such a huge part of the repair process today that it just, it goes on. It's just so common. And as little as Five years ago, it, it was probably in the 5 or 6 or 10 percentile, if that. Now, I, I, I got to think, I bet if we looked at the percentage of repairs, I would have to think a third of the vehicle or more, probably more, of the vehicles are repaired today from computer flashing. And it's, it's, just, it's just an intricate process. Case in point, shop around the corner was working on a U-Haul truck. And they had to replace the instrument cluster. So they purchased a replacement instrument cluster, but the cluster then had to be programmed or flashed. Software had to be put into it in order for it to, to, to make the truck work, in order for it to work. Now, in this particular model truck, this is a 2008 Ford E350 van front, and then it's a U-Haul cab box back, all right? Like a lot of Fords of that generation, and, and even today, the instrument cluster is the central piece in the computer network. It, it tells everybody what to do. It's, it's the mama in the house, all right? It's, it's telling the onboard engine computer, hey, it's okay to start the car. It's taking orders from the BCM and transferring information to the PCM. Hey, we want to run the air conditioning. We want to do this and turn this on and turn that off. It's, it's sort of the brains of the operation. And it's just critical. I needed to flash it. So they, they brought it over. They, they took the, we took the old cluster out. Well, actually, what we have to do is it's a process. So I had to hook up the IDS, the Ford Flash tool, the scan tool. 
and it it looks at the old cluster. It takes the information out of the old cluster, and then you take the old cluster out, put the new cluster in, and you transfer the software into that cluster. It's a it's a data transfer process in this particular application. That didn't work. So I did a little more research, and you know, in the event that this fails, and of course I tried it twice, and it just didn't work. And it came back to as I might have to do this repair as as built data. And the part that didn't work was the vehicle wouldn't start. So you turn the key and nothing would happen. Dash would light up, the gauges would work, but the engine would never crank. So I did a little research. I, I explained it to the other shop, and they kind of threw their hands up in the air. They didn't really know where to go with this. So I said, you know, you tell us what you think. It's always, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so I, I sat down and I did some research and we're going we're gonna to use, now we're going to use as-built data. As-built data is, I always think of it when a baby's born. When a baby's born and they, 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 they smack the bottom and the baby starts crying, that's it. That's, that's birth, okay? As-built data is birth. When the vehicle came down the assembly line and the guy smacked its bottom and put in the hexadecimal code language to tell it, okay, the, these dots and uh, uh, zeros and, and, and all the coding that's put into it at the factory, you're manually entering that, which has to be done. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great idea from Ford because what if that instrument cluster was physically damaged in an accident and we had no way to recover the lost data? So they give an allowance for that. There's a way around it. They have to think of that, right? So I do, I do as-built data as the expression. I enter it into the cluster, and that doesn't work. So now I've got a cluster that uh, <laughs> yeah, everything works, but the vehicle won't start. And then it dawns on me, how would I treat this if it was a problem? Well, I would, I would diagnose it. What's the first step in any diagnosis, right? You kind of go back to how were you trained. It's, it's, if you're trained to play the piano, you know, you know, white keys, black keys, sit on the pedal, you know, sit on the bench, step on the pedals. You always kind of go through the process. You're always playing the piano the same way. Make the sound come out. You're always diagnosing the same way. Get to the root cause. Why doesn't this start? Everything else works. This cluster is operational. All the lights work, directionals work, gauges work, gas gauge comes up when you turn the key on. It works. Car doesn't start. Scanner for codes. It's got a P as in Peter 1260 in it. A P1260 in a Ford product means that, you ready for this? The engine controller, the PCM, is not seeing the PATS, the personal anti-theft system, Ford's anti-theft system signal, coming out of the cluster. And I went, oh, that's easy enough. I have to learn the PAT system. I need two keys. And then I look at the one key and I realize, but wait a minute, this is a basic key. It's just a silver key. There is no PATS system. There is no anti-theft system in this vehicle, which I guess why there would be. Who wants to steal a U-Haul? Well, hurts. So... You know, now I've got a cluster that's sending out a signal request for an anti-theft system that doesn't have an anti-theft system. I think I've got the wrong cluster. Went through it two different ways. I proved it by every time this truck wouldn't start, swap in the new cluster, the truck fires right up. Sometimes, and this is the point, sometimes even in flashing, there's diagnosis. It's never that simple. It's never clear cut. Part numbers match up. Everything says this cluster should work, but it doesn't.
And we're going to find out this week. We're, we, we've sent it back out to the cluster repair shop, and, and they're kind of scratching their heads because they understand the situation. I walked them through everything we did. And they believe that the problem's in the cluster, too. And it makes me wonder, as I've always sat here and said, as cars continue to grow in computer technology and, I don't know if the word is eloquence or complication, how will they keep track of all the hardware? Keeping track of the software is hard enough, no pun intended. And it just makes you think that as software becomes the dominant way to repair a car or the dominant force in the repair process, you can't change a cluster without doing a software flash, all right? Who will be able to and how will they do that? Something to think about for the future. Flashing is here to stay very long term. 855-560-9900. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor coming back right after this. Write it on the wall so you don't forget to call for car advice done right. 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Hey, let's get on over and talk to Brett in Texas, 2016 Chevy Suburban. Brett, you're on with the car doctor. How can I help? Brett? Brett? Yeah, Brett? I'm here. There you go, sir. Okay. Things take uh, a little, I'm things hearing take a, everything twice. Yeah. No, that's all. Like yeah, yeah, turn your ra- turn your radio away. or your computer down. Yeah, I know things take longer in Texas. It's a big state. The electrons have to go way out there, and then they come back. So, but um, what's going on with you yeah, today, Brett? I'm, How can we help? Unfortunately, I'm still hearing everything twice. Mm. I can't. So you can't hear everything on. Okay, I tell you what. Put Brett on hold for a second. See if we can straighten out his call. Let's go to Let's go to Mark in Idaho. We'll talk to him first. Mark, you there? Hey, Ron. Good, sir. How are we coming in? We coming in all right? Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, it must be something in Texas. See if we can straighten out Texas. Um, how can I help you today, Mark? I have a 07 Honda Ridgeline, and I like your acronym for Honda. Um, had one, never did again. Go ahead, sir. That's right. Yeah. At about 60,000 miles, uh, I got a slight kicking noise when it was warm, when it was warmed up. And um, I asked my mechanic about it, and he said he thought a timing belt and a tensioner would cure the problem. Um, it didn't, and eventually it's turned into uh, gone from a ticking noise to a tapping noise. Uh, I took it back to him about sixty-eight thousand, and they uh, adjusted the valves and checked the camshaft. And uh, about five hundred dollars later, they told me I needed a new bottom end. And uh, I'm just trying to figure out if I should. I got a couple of questions. Uh, if I should trust his assessment, number one, and is it worth fixing, number two? And if I don't fix it, uh, how's it going to end for this vehicle? This is the V6, right, Mark? I'm I'm not aware of any four-cylinder ridge lines. No, it's it's a V6. No, it's a V6. So let me ask you a couple of questions. How long has this mechanic been your mechanic? Uh, probably about ten years or so. But okay. It's mostly just been maintenance, you know, oil changes and stuff, nothing right. inside the engine. Right. I mean, it, it, it never hurts to get a second opinion, you know, just like any other situation. 
at this point right. at this point it sounds like whatever the noise was has gotten louder and it's it's now a bigger noise so it sounds like it is an engine or engine related so it's going to take you to some you know repair replace the engine or diagnosis did they give okay. you any, did they give you any kind of numbers cost to repair this uh, they were saying for a new short block from Honda and installation and everything about eight thousand dollars. Well, that just sure kind of takes your breath away, doesn't it? Uh, it does. Uh, the problem is, I, I really uh, I like this vehicle um, a lot, and it's I've taken really good care of it, and uh, it's in good shape. Other than this little issue, did they did they break that out for you, Mark? Did they? You know, the engine is this no. much and labor is that much, or because uh, I I'd, I'd sure like no. I sure like to know where that number comes from and how that how that how that comes apart. I looked online at, at you know a Honda place that built an original parts and the, the engine is about the short block is about forty three hundred. So you know, based the rest is labor and whatever they need to do it. Well, and and one of the questions I'd be having is, so we're going to do a short block and reuse the heads. Right. Now, some of the Hondas, back in the day when we did machine work and valve jobs, you know, the big, I need a valve job, remember those? Well, if you're old enough, you remember those days, <laughs> okay? Um, uh, you know, yeah, right. And, and some of the Hondas, the, the valves are so small that machining them accurately out in the field is difficult. It's, it's, it's a costly process. You've got to have the right machine shop. So my first question is, why are we reusing the heads? I assume that he's going to send the heads out and have them cleaned up, refurbed, the valve job done to them, or is he just going to transfer them from the engine from one to the other? I got the impression he was just going to transfer them over. Okay. And it's a little tricky because I've since moved. You know, this was in another city. I've since moved. So I, I you know, it's another issue. I'm searching for a new mechanic now. Right. So. And, you know, part of what's on my mind is if, if let's, let's assume, let's make some assumptions, which on family radio we can't define because it's a bad word. But let's assume that it is an engine issue and that the engine's clicking, clacking, tapping, making noise because something's worn. If something in an engine is loose and worn, something in an engine is coming apart, it's putting metal fragments in the engine, right? Makes sense? Right. Okay. So what? All the, all the, all the metallic particles stayed in the bottom half of the engine, and they're not circulating in the heads? So we're not worried about the heads? We're just going to take likely. the heads? Right? <laughs> we're not going to... What? Right. It, what? It gets to the heads, and the oil goes, no, wait a minute. You can't come up here because you're not the part that we're replacing. So, okay. you know, it's logically we've, we've got to... We've got to do heads, too. We've got to think about a complete engine overhaul. So at that point, you know, what's a rebuilt long block, they call it, is the word we're looking for from Honda. And does anybody have a long block assembly? All right. What does that cost? Um, that's, that's number I one. I saw the heads were like, okay. Right. That's number one. Number two, got to get a second opinion. It might pay to talk to a Honda dealer. All right, if you're looking for a new mechanic. At least if you're talking to a Honda dealer, all right, we know it's going to be, well, our perception is it might be more money, but one of the things I've learned in life is never negotiate with yourself, all right? Usually usually you, you, you have a fool for a customer if you're to negotiate with yourself because you get nowhere. Find out what it is. Call the Honda dealer. Hey, I've got an 07 Ridgeline. I think I need an engine. Can you give me a ballpark price? Is it 10000 2000 5000 or somewhere in between? At least then you know what you're dealing with. Um, 
you know, you'll also see how they handle a cold question like that over the phone. Or do they give you the usual, well, you got to bring it in so we can diagnose it? Yeah, you know, like, I get it, and I'd like to see the vehicle myself, but there are times I do give out phone quotes. It's not often, but, you know, A, I'm trying to help somebody, and B, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of a practical question. Tell me how, how long, you know, how much is it to do this engine? Give me a ballpark. Um, you know, just kind of important. So find out how much an okay. engine is. Uh, is this engine worth fixing? That's a hard call from my seat. At least then if you decide, hey, the Honda dealer says it's $9,000 or, or, or $6,000 to do a complete engine, at least then if you take it into the dealer and they diagnose it and they say, hey, it's this widget or that what's it, and it's only $3,000, we've seen this 100 times, this is the common fault, at least you kind of know where you are, all right? Um, the, okay. nice, the nice thing about it being the Honda dealer, and verify this, it's an engine. If you move again, it should be under nationwide warranty regardless of where you go. And and right. when you're doing open-heart surgery like this, that's important. All right? You want to make okay. sure that wherever you go, if you move from Idaho to Florida, uh, you know, next week and, and all of a sudden you're in Florida, you can just go find a Flanda Harda dealer and, uh, hey, my engine's making noise again. It's under warranty down there. And that's an important thing to consider, right. too. All right? Before I let you go, just be aware that... You know, what kind of shape is the rest of the truck in? And you have to play the what-if game with yourself when you're juggling these numbers. All right? I'm not saying it's not worth fixing. I'm not saying it is worth fixing. If if you told me, hey, Ron, I'm not going to fix this truck. I'm going to go out and buy another one, but I'm going to spend 40000 real dollars to, to, to replace this, this truck might be worth fixing. Because once you put that engine in it, you know, it's 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 that's open heart surgery. The what if game is what if the what if the transmission failed six months after you put the engine in it? Would you put a trans in it? And you have to know the answer to that question and general condition of the truck before you go through the rest of it. Good luck to you, kiddo. If you need more information, give me a shout back. Hey, coming up next now, Matt Bannock from Gold Eagle. We're going to talk about all kinds of fuel stabilizer issues and uh, what to do with bad weather coming up. And uh, he'll be joining us right after we come back. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. Don't go away. Car doctor, you know, we're, we're talking a lot recently about the weather and the effects of weather on automobiles, gasoline specifically, and, and how it's going to, uh, you know, create possible issues in, in the fuel tank, Hurricane Dorian, and all the others that are happening along the way. This is hurricane season. And uh, judging by your questions and your responses, you've got a lot of interest in it as well as I. I thought I would reach out to one of the best, Matt Bannock. He's the senior director of marketing at Gold Eagle Company, and he's joining us here to help answer some questions about vehicle storage and gas. Not just gasoline by itself, but overall vehicle storage and use and, you know, some of the bad weather stuff that we've been talking about. Matt, welcome aboard. Great. Thanks for having me on. You, you know, we're, we're that time of year. Well, people are going to start to think about storing their vehicles, and I, and I guess we're going to need a definition of that. But also, you know, what are your thoughts on all the hurricane activity, too? You know, both storage and the weather have an effect on fuel. Yeah, the, I mean the weather's the weather's always unpredictable, and when you get a lot of moisture in the air, it causes different issues with gasoline, and people have to deal with that. So, hurricanes usually drive a lot of people to get their generators out during a hurricane because they lose power. So that's a good chance for them to kind of 
make sure it's ready the next time around, treat their fuel as stable so it doesn't gum up their carburetors. And then the um, aftermath of hurricanes, it always seems to be that's when people are out buying. There's All the home improvement stores sell a lot of pressure washers for the cleanup, uh, cleanup activity. So making sure you take care of that stuff. Uh, along with your cars, they're sitting out there potentially in water or around just a lot of humidity. It's just there's a lot of things to think about when you're maintaining or managing the gasoline that you have and all your stuff. What, what's the definition of, of storing their vehicle? You know, we're, we're, we're in the fall now here in the Northeast, and in a couple of months it'll be winter and all the hot rods go away as well as in other parts of the country. Um, you know, what's the definition? Is, 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 you know, two months downtime considered storage? Is it six months? Is there, is there a time limit to consider? Um, I guess it's different for everything. So when I uh, go through, like, gasoline, how you should manage your gasoline, I say you're storing gas if you're going to keep it for longer than uh, 30 days. That's storing gas just because that's when gas starts to go bad after 30 days. If it's your collector car, I usually start telling people, hey, like, three, four months, you really want to start doing all those other things like covering the car up, and if you want to put, put jack stands under it or battery maintainers and all those other good things that come along with making sure your car's ready in the spring, that's when you start looking at those pieces. Gasoline goes bad in 30 days now? Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, over 98% of the gas you buy in the United States is 10% ethanol, which it's renewable resource, and it burns a little bit cleaner, and those are all, all good things. But the challenge is that it starts to go bad a lot quicker than gas that everyone's used to. So ethanol-free gas is about 90 days, and ethanol, 10% ethanol gas is about 30 days, which people tend to kind of forget because they don't realize how much they drive their cars. They think they drive it all the time, but they don't. But yeah. when you're filling it up, you want to add something to it well you know in 30 days goes by in a blink uh right you know you turn around and we turn around now and it'll be uh it'll be christmas <laughs> um yeah. the end of the year will be here so you know for those of you just tuning in we're talking to matt bannock from uh, gold eagle talking about fuel uh fuel saving fuel and storing vehicles and uh, things like that dealing with the bad weather um matt you know um the problems caused by bad fuel you said a very key word at the beginning of this conversation, carburetors, right? What effect does that bad fuel have there? Uh, so as gas goes bad, I mean, it gets, it darkens up, it loses flammability, gets a little bit gummier. So when you're trying to run that through carburetors, whether it be a collector car or even your lawn equipment, I mean, needle valves, jets, I mean, your uh, accelerator pumps, all those other things, once they get kind of gummed up, they're not going to work as well as they should. Um, and that, that applies to even fuel-injected cars. I mean, those things, new cars, they run in really tight tolerances. They're really efficient. They do a lot of great things. But if that fuel system starts getting gummed up, that becomes a problem. Can, can you know, fuel stabilizers and the ethanol treatments, you know, can they help? Can they solve the problem? They can help with most of the problems. So, I mean, when you're running ethanol-blended fuel, um, the gas goes bad really quickly. So we can stabilize the fuel and keep it fresh for at least at least a year, sometimes two years, depending on the product you're using. Uh, we can prevent corrosion, which ethanol tends to increase the probability of. Uh, we can clean the fuel system, remove any gum and varnish, and do all those things. And we can kind of delay that water absorption, because ethanol likes to absorb water. We can delay that. We can't prevent it, but we can delay it. Uh, the one thing that we can't do that no, one, no one's figured out a way to do is protect rubber and plastic pieces. So like if you have a collector car and you have old, uh, old plastic fuel bowl or fuel floats 
ethanol can eat those things where your gasket sets away, which can, when you replace them, you just got to find something that's compatible with ethanol, then you're usually pretty good, but we can't protect rubber and plastic. Wow, that's um, that's kind of a scary thought, right? You think about all the collector cars out there alone that have got rubber and plastic floats and carburetor pieces and and so on. Um, can the fuel stabilizers and the ethanol treatments and, 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 and these things, do they work in all fuel types, any engine? Is there a, is there a limit to what they'll work with? Um, gas is gas at some point. I mean, you're, you're, whether you're putting your collector car, your small engine, or your boat, or I mean, your everyday car, if, if, if you're letting it sit for a little bit, more than 30 days, we always recommend putting stable in when you, when you fill it up. Uh, the one thing that we don't treat with our normal products is diesel fuel. So, I mean, if, if you have diesel fuel, we have a whole separate line of products to, to uh, treat diesel fuel. By itself. Um, you know, we talk about collector cars, but what about the person driving to work Monday morning? Um, you know, do you need to use this, any of these products, any of these stabilizers on a, on a daily basis if, you, if you're continuing to just drive your car on a regular, you know, a commuter car kind of a thing? No, your daily car, I mean, you should, I mean you're, you're putting gas in it once, twice a week usually. I mean, you're filling up. It's a, it shouldn't be an issue. I mean, you can look at fuel system cleaners, like every oil change, that, that is always a good practice. Um, but Newer cars, I mean, they have sealed fuel systems. They're fuel-injected. They're a little less susceptible to those issues. But that doesn't mean if you have a Miata or a Mustang or a Corvette that you don't drive that much, even though it's pretty new, it's the gas can still go bad in that car. You're not, you're not immune to the problem. Matt, if you were storing a car outside of treating the gasoline system, you know, the gas with uh, um, stabilizers and ethanol treatments and such, um, you got any quick tips and tricks for storage, you know, before you put the car away, something other than, you know, fuel system maintenance? You know, I, I've restored and worked on a lot of cars over my time, and it seems like the most productive thing. I mean, you got to, if you can get into a garage, get into a garage, but if you can't park it, if you cannot get a garage space, just don't park it on grass or dirt or anything else. Just that moisture under the car just destroys them. I and mean, we're in the Midwest, or I'm in the Midwest, and that's, there's a lot of rusty cars from that problem. Yeah. But that's my biggest one. Yeah, and I guess I guess maybe I like to clean the interior. I like to wash it once, maybe throw a cover on it if it's sitting in the garage because, you know, it's going to come out being nicer uh, in the spring whenever we want to take it back out again, right? Yeah, I mean, you can – it depends on how uh, how obsessive you want to get with it. I mean, my personal cars, I mean, I go, I go to the every nth degree. I mean, I put it on jack stands but keep the pressure on the suspension so I don't have flat spots on the tires. I have the battery maintainer that I put on it, and I – cover it and I get the, the cover that's fitted for my car. It's nice and soft on the inside so it doesn't scuff the paint. So it's all I have to do is get it down off the jack stand and start it up next spring and it's ready to go. And that's that's the exciting part. No one likes putting their car away. They like to get the car out. That's right. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like it's it's giving birth in some cases. I understand 100%. Hey, Matt, where can the listeners go for more information? Uh, we have a ton of blogs and information on our, our website, goldeagle.com. And it's got a search function, so whatever you're looking for, just type it in the search, and it'll come up. So we have multiple articles on storing your car, your boat, your lawn equipment, whatever you're storing. We, we like to talk about that since Stable plays an integral part of it. Oh, yeah, Stable Stable is the player in the marketplace, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time. We know how busy you and everyone over there is today. Matt, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll get around to you the next time we'll talk again. Great. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor, and we're back right after this. Hey, 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 hey. Ooh, 
Welcome back. We're on the, the Car Doctor. Just a reminder that this segment of The Car Doctor is brought to you by FordParts.com. Keep in mind that FordParts.com is your source for Ford Motorcraft, Omnicraft parts. They also have a high-quality collection of images and parts diagrams laying it out for you the way it's supposed to be to help you find all the parts that you need, detailed descriptions and such. Live chat and call center support is available to help you find the right parts, track orders, and more. FordParts.com. Find it, buy it, and hey, get back to work. And that's just what the car doctor is going to do. Let's go over to Brett in Texas, 2016 Chevy Suburban. Brett, you're there, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, so what's going on with this Suburban, kiddo? Something with brakes? Yeah, it's got an intermittent brake failure, uh, low speeds, you know, parking lots, uh, stop signs, that kind of deal. When, when, when you say failure, what are you saying, that the pedal drops out? Well, it, or it, it loses power brakes, and it, it basically goes to, to manual brakes, and you, you really got to stand on it, and it doesn't really do much. Uh, I mean, it takes a lot of effort, and it just slowly stops. Okay, so in other words, you're, you're losing, it's not that the pedal lacks height, you're losing power assist. Correct. Okay. Um, have you had a chance to read for uh, GM Bulletin, um, or actually it's a, it's a piece of technical information, they call it a pit, uh, 5361, they talk about brake pedal effort problems, dated March of 17. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd read on that, and uh, they actually just released a, uh, a recall on them to uh, do a software update to increase pedal effort. But right. the actual, the real problem actually has nothing to do with pedal effort because increasing the pedal effort doesn't really do much other than mask the issue. Because if you lose power, you if you lose power brakes, you're already exerting more force into the pedal. Correct. It's just a, it's just, it's just a band aid. But the but, problem is the 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 vacuum pumps uh it's a belt driven vacuum pump and uh I, i'd done a bunch of research into this issue back in march when we first started having the issue and a lot of people have it and there's there's been a lot of accidents and things because of it the issue is that the in time and that's in the recall states it the the pump builds gets a build up inside of it and it loses its efficiency and and it just stops working at low speeds okay so, uh, what's your question? The recall. So, so what's your? Well, I'm, I'm confused that, now. So, what's your question to me, other than you want to tell everybody? Because that's what the that's what the that's what fifty three sixty one talks about. They talk about issues with the vacuum pump. Yeah. Well, the 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 question I have, uh, and uh, what I called about was the the recall is for a mechanical problem, and the the fix is a software update. Okay. The the I'll I'll just read it to you really quick. Go ahead. The power vacuum pump, a component within the braking system, may generate less pressure over time because of the buildup of debris. As a result, the output of the power braking system may decrease. And then it says the fix. Dealers will update software in the vehicle at no charge. I'd like to, and I I called General Motors to talk to them about it, uh, to have them explain to me how a a mechanical failure is being fixed with a software update. And your question to me is, how are they doing it? Yeah, yeah I just, I, I don't understand it. I thought I don't, maybe well, you might. Are they, are they running the pump longer? Are they changing the parameters of when the pump goes on and off? Well, it's a belt-driven pump, and uh, it, it doesn't have, like, a clutch on it, like a, like a AC clutch or something, so it's, I would assume it's always on. 
Right. So what's the software update doing? Unless the, the only other, the only other thing I could see the software update doing is are they affecting cam timing, which is going to affect manifold vacuum at idle? Are it they... doesn't have a vacuum line on the intake. These new direct injected motors uh, that GM put out, they don't have a vacuum line. That's why they have the the vacuum pump. Right. But so you, so wait a minute. This system has is the the vacuum pump is the sole source of vacuum to the booster. Exactly. Then I don't see where soft, I don't see where software would have an effect on that. And now you see why I'm calling you because right. I don't see it either. I called GM; they didn't have an answer for me. They said, "Well, let me put you in touch with a technician." They didn't. They put me in touch with a service advisor at a dealership, who whose answer was, "Well, all I can do is tell you what GM tells us to do, and we're doing a software update." And I said, "That's fine." But I, I don't understand how that's going to fix the problem. And, and, and it's important to me because my wife and four kids are in this vehicle daily. Okay. That's have why. You, have you, have you had the software update done? No, the, the, the recall just got released. My dad actually just had his done yesterday, but we haven't had ours in yet. Okay. So, you know, and, and the, you, you, the well, software update is increasing pedal feel is all it does is increase the, the effort. Right. But now keep in mind, you may have a bad vacuum pump as a result of the fluid buildup they talk about in 5361. Correct. So maybe you've got a bad a bad pump and you're in need of the software update. Do this, Brett. I'm up against the clock. Get the software update done. If that doesn't fix it, call me back. All right? Will do. Let's leave it there. All right, kiddo? Yep. Thank All right. you, sir. You're welcome. 855-560-9900. We're back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the the car doctor. Real quick, I um I, I I logged into the shop and dug into the database real fast on the brake, and there's a there's a special coverage bulletin. They talk about brake assist decrease during vacuum loss um, for those vehicles. If Brett, if you're still there. That that bulletin, that recall isn't for software. That the recall I'm thinking of that I had to go back and look at to make sure I'm not crazy is dated April of 2019. They're talking about replacing the vacuum pump with a different vacuum pump, and I've got to think it's a different style. Listen, engineers and lawyers all looked at this. I'm sure. So, you know, it's it's a matter of let's do what the company asks, not question it for the moment, and see if there's a difference because the time we're waiting. To do it may be the time in which we have a problem. Um, yeah, it's got to happen. It's just it's just got to happen that quick. I'm sorry, I can't do. Uh, um, let's let's save him for the next hour because there's another hour of car doctrine to come. Um, flashing bulletins, recalls, updates—they're not thrown out there willy-nilly. And when it comes to brakes, they're looked at very carefully, like everything else. And I, I, Brett, if you're still there, I understand what you're thinking. But there's a whole lot more thought process that goes into this than you and I will ever know. They'll never tell us what the update does. They just want it done. Let's get it done and see where it goes, and we can take it from there. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.